Welcome to If You Only Knew, brought to you by the Diversity Movement, where Dr. Debbie Stroman talks race and diversity in sports with some of the most influential leaders at the intersection of athletics and racial equity. If this is your first time tuning in, be sure to subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can be inspired by the success paths of Dr. Debbie and her guests, and you can come away with a better understanding of why the race and sports conversation is so important today. Here's your host, UNC professor, entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and advocate, Dr. Debbie Stroman, with today's guest, Mary McElroy from the ACC. Well, welcome to If You Only Knew, and I appreciate having the ACC Women's Basketball Commissioner with me today for a very, very enjoyable, fun conversation. But I was looking at the clock here. We've got 15 months since you joined us in the Atlantic Coast Conference. So I want to go back to when it all started. Mm -hmm. Tell me about where it started, how it happened, and what brought you to sports at an age. Oh, okay. You want to go way back. Okay. Gosh, my mother was, she participated in sports. And so, and, and I had a big family. She took us out to the softball field one day and taught us to play. I was in second grade at the time. So it was us, it was our family, and then some other kids from the neighborhood. So I've been an athlete ever since. And she played into her 40s. I'm still playing in my 50s. Softball was my first sport. Then I learned, uh, so I played that all through elementary school, middle school. Then I picked up basketball in high school in ninth grade. Uh, We had ninth through 12th high school. Picked up basketball in ninth grade, picked up volleyball in 11th grade. Well, I'm not going to let you get off that quickly with the family. (laughs) I understand you have a large family. I do. I do. I am one of eight children. I have four brothers and three sisters, and I was raised Catholic. That will help explain some of the size of the family. It was great uh, growing up in, in the household with that many siblings and, and two parents that just were great role models and taught us the value of hard work and perseverance and education. Wow. So, yeah. We're pretty similar. I grew up in a family of five, and Definitely think that I was probably the most competitive with my sports. Now, did you, were you super competitive? What type of athlete were you? Were you nice to your family members or the neighborhood kids? No, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I was, I was and remain very competitive. I, I admit that. I do. When I get on that softball field, I wouldn't say I'm a different person, but I'm all business. <laughs> I want to play. I want to win and I want us to play well. Yeah, I learned. The good things that obviously we learned from, from playing sports is teamwork and putting other people's needs and, and the team's goals first. So I, I did learn those things at an early age, but I, but I did also learn that competitiveness too, I, I must confess. Now, does that show up in other aspects of your life? Are you super competitive? I have friends who say, Debbie, you are really, really competitive. And I'm like, I, what do you mean? But when we play games and things, I want to win. <laughs> Yep, yep. Yeah, game, board games, game shows. I love all game shows. Diehards go-tos are Family Feud, and I like America Says. That's a new show that's on now. I just like playing, and I'm, I'm, I'm into trivia and things like that. And then, yes, in life, I, I want to do well. I very much am a type A personality. I like to do things well. I like to be a leader. I'm aware of my 
position generally at all times. And, and a lot of times I've been a trailblazer and didn't set out to be one. It just, it happens. It just so happens. And I look around and go, wow, man, I'm the only woman in this room. I'm the only black in this room. What at the same time, I just try to do my work and, and perform so that people see the quality of the work product, judge me on that. Therefore, that opens the door for others who look like me and think like me to come behind me. If I have the opportunity, I reach back and pull them up with me because I think that is imperative that we all do that. When we get the opportunity, it's not enough for us to just be there. Somebody does have to always be first. I'm not always first. Sometimes I'm the beneficiary of other people going before me. But I've always felt compelled to reach back and pull others up with me. Thank you. Very, very admirable. And let's think about some of those people who helped to pour into your life. Before we get to your military career, how about (laughs) were there any teachers or coaches at a young age who are really influential for you that still remember uh, how they took your life? Oh, yeah. My mother, of course, generally black women, we always look up to our moms because they are strong and they they show us the way. I also had some great elementary school teachers. I remember Miss Biscoe. A lot of people say Briscoe, but she had no art. Miss Biscoe, my first grade teacher, I just had a love of learning and reading. And she just she fed that and just made me a voracious reader. I don't read as much as I used to. I do have a love of reading. Brenda Henley was my basketball coach and my volleyball coach in high school. I'm still very close to her. In fact, I invited her to come in um, as my guest to the ACC Women's Basketball Tournament this year because I wanted her to experience that with me this year because she made that possible. She actually was very instrumental in me going to the Naval Academy because I was applying and I was about to quit. And she said, don't quit finish the process because you always wonder if you could have gone to the Naval Academy. So I finished the process. I got in and, and I went. had a great life as a result. And I've always let her know that and reminded her of that. That is unique. I don't think many young Black boys and girls grow up thinking about going to a military academy unless they've had military in their family. Right. And certainly to go to Navy. So what was the <laughs> connection with Navy? Why Navy? I had no connection with Navy. Actually, I, a little, I, not the Naval Academy, per se. I grew up in Lexington Park, Maryland, and there was a big naval base there. The Tuxent River Naval Air Station, you got to say it slowly. They're, they have a program on base called the PAX-10 program. I think they still have it. What it does is it, it's a partnership between them and Tennessee State University. I was looking into that program and it would have afforded me the opportunity to get a college education free of charge, and then I would have have to come back and work on the base. I mean, that was a win-win because that was the major employer in our area. If you had a job on base, you were determined to have made it. So I was looking at potentially working on base and then getting a college education free of charge as well. I am first generation. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. My family didn't have money to pay for college. I saw some people with their picture in the newspaper for getting appointments to the service academies. I read the article and I was like, I have good grades. I played three sports. Let me look into this. So I did. I ended up applying my senior year. And by the time I applied, four other guys had already applied and gotten in. Only one of them outranked me, our valedictorian. 
since they had already taken up all the appointments, I had the opportunity to either go to regular college and reapply, or I could go to the Naval Academy prep school, graduate from there, and then I'd get an automatic appointment to the Naval Academy. I chose the short thing, and I went to prep school for a year, and then I went to the Academy. I know the experience was challenging, but it was also very, very rewarding. Being in yes. the sport business space and connected with the ACC, I've had to do research and really, really wonderful to find out the connection between Notre Dame playing Navy every year in football. And a lot of people wonder, you know, is it just because of the prestige of the Naval Academy? Mm. And in fact, I'll let you tell that story yeah. in terms of why big old ND plays Navy. Yeah, Notre Dame, they were struggling and they were about to go That's under. Right. They reached out to the service academies, Navy in particular, to if they would be interested in playing them. And that was back when Navy was good. I mean, Navy had two, a lot of people don't know it, but Navy had two Heisman Trophy winners in Joe Bellino from, I think he was class of 61, and Roger Staubach, class of 63. Navy was really good. And as a result of them entering into this partnership with Notre Dame. They saved Notre Dame and who expressed their gratitude. Notre Dame said, we will always play you. Unfortunately, you know, COVID's going to break that streak, but it looks like this year will be the first time in a, in a long time that they won't have the rivalry. They did extend it into uh, 2032 to make up for it. Yeah, I think that's just a beautiful story when you think about military academies and you think about loyalty and tradition. And here is yeah. one that is still alive today that Notre Dame will never forget how Navy yeah. helped them uh, survive during a very difficult time. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. So the Naval Academy, and with all of the demands of being a cadet and then playing sports on top of that, and there you go, off into life after, I guess, do you call it undergrad at an academy? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, we, just, we just refer to it as the academy, so as yeah, you know, life, after, life after the yard. Oh, <laughs> life after the yard. Okay. You start your journey, more military work, and then eventually you move into athletic administration. Tell us a little bit from that transition from the yard and then into your uh, business world. Sure. I joke uh, that I'm the black female Forrest Gump because I kind of have fallen into these opportunities in my life just by being in the right place at the right time. You know, that opportunity meets preparation is, is what luck is. When I was looking to get off active duty in the military, my husband got assigned to the Naval Academy and I had the opportunity. I was going to pursue a job in D.C. or Baltimore or something. I was like, OK, I'll find something. Luckily, I had kept in touch with my basketball coach, Dave Smalley, and we would always check in. I'd check in with him anytime I was on the yard. We swung by there one, one particular time and I let him know that we were coming back to Annapolis, asked him if he knew of any opportunities and just so happened that he was looking for an assistant compliance coordinator. He encouraged me to apply for the job and he hired me and gave me my start in athletics. I worked there for a bit, some promotions and Jack Lingle was the athletic director at the time. Jack was very, very good at his job, very good at what he does. He challenged me a lot and, and helped me to grow. That's how I made the transition into athletics from the military. So very fortunate to, to have been the beneficiary of Coach Smalley for a couple of times taught me more about the game of women's basketball and then gave me my first shot on the administrative side. Definitely. We're very uh, thankful as well for your transition over to sport administration on the mm -hmm. collegiate level. We're very similar being the first female or first African-American in these boardrooms 
various mm -hmm. meetings and strategies, and it inspires me. And I'm sure it does the same for you in the sense of us thinking about whose shoulders we stand on. Here you are, Women's Basketball Commissioner for the ACC. The first thing I have to ask you, did you know about how rabid we are about basketball in the state of North Carolina and the ACC? <laughs> did you have ideas about that? 2001 was when I first got exposed to it because I, I was at Georgia Tech. I was working in their athletic department. And so Georgia Tech being a member of the ACC, by 2001 was when I got into senior level administration there and got to get it up close and personal. But no, I did not grow up in it. Well, to a certain extent, when I was at the academy, I saw it a little from a distance because I happened to be a classmate of David Robinson's. That was back when Navy went to the Elite Eight that year. And what a great time that was for them to go up against Duke, have a shot at advancing to the Final Four if they could just get past Duke. That kind of gave it to me. But no, uh, it's, it's still different seeing it from the inside. It is something like, I mean, as we, we put together things that, that showcase the whole conference, we might put together a video and it will include people from all the conference, all 15 schools, some of our institutions will not play that video. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, that is really strong, you know. And I'm, I'm the, here's a person coming from the Army Navy rivalry, which that's blood sport for us. And I'm like, really? You won't even put that. Then we have to relent sometimes. Like, oh, you can make another video or something like that. But it's something. This this competitiveness is good, but it makes us better. Makes our teams better. Gives us a stronger footing when we go to compete against non-conference competition. <laughs> well, you're being very, very polite because it, it is very much uh, <laughs> having my experience with Virginia and North Carolina and then working in the triangle with Duke, NC State and Carolina, just <laughs> watching some people, and especially if they, like you, if they've been to other universities uh -huh. and you understand that every university is great, good right. athletics, then you come and you realize that you're in <laughs> such an intense place where you can't even relax. Sometimes you can't even eat, enjoy your meal because somebody's got to put something in there or <laughs> call in like some game where somebody felt that they were cheated or done wrong. Yeah. It's a great place to live. <laughs> talk about your first season, your first season of ACC oh. women's basketball. We'll talk about how the Rona, how coronavirus certainly put a little damper on things. So talk about your first season. Yes. Oh, man. It was it was a lot of fun. A lot of firsts. It happened to be the first year that the ACC women's basketball schools played an 18-game schedule. That was good. We break it down into regions. We have three different regions, a north, a central, and a south region. What you do is you play the schools in your region, the four other schools in your region. You play them home and away, and you play the other 10 schools. You play five of them home and five away. It makes for a fairly balanced schedule and a very competitive schedule. We, we really had some great games this year, and I am looking forward to some really good competition this year as well. It was also the first year that the ACC Network came into being. That was really neat that, to see that be stood up and see it go so well. That was really fun. Then at the tournament, it was a great tournament, very competitive. I mean, the number of upsets made it so compelling, just must-see TV. At the championship game, we had Florida State, who got past Louisville, NC State, I forget who they beat. Florida State and NC State playing for the championship. Neither of their coaches has ever won an ACC Women's Basketball Championship before. Whoever won, it was going to be their first 
ACC Women's mm-hmm. Basketball Championship. So that was awesome as well. So a lot of fun, just a lot of great atmosphere in there. Brad Hecker and Kelsey Harris are just great partners in this. And Debbie Williamson, she's in charge of our officials. And Tommy um, Salerno helps us as well. And even Charlene Curtis came back. We brought her out of retirement for one of the days. But it was it was a great team. And then all of our volunteers, we got people coming in from Carolina. Actually, we had Sherry Terry from Carolina. We had people from Wake Forest as well. It's a great atmosphere there. I, I look forward to it. Yeah, it's really special. I know I'm from outside of Philadelphia. And when I first came here and I heard about the young children rolling in the uh, television sets to watch ACC men's basketball and then to be affiliated with ACC women's basketball and seeing the days where the little ones come and they're Uh screaming and they don't (laughs) even know who's scoring a basket. But if something exciting happens, it's just a great atmosphere for the Triangle region, for the triad, for our entire state. We appreciate what you're doing to advance it because certainly the work of Bernadette McGlade and Norlin Finch was wonderful and to be able to pass the baton to someone looking for even more innovation. So that's a wonderful thing. Now yes, we are talking and, about- and Don't forget D. Todd. I always oh, leave her Dee. off because D. Yes. Bernie and, um, and Norlin and I am, I am forever in both of their debts. Bernie's one of the people that I give credit to for helping with my career as, as do I give credit to D. Todd, even that's John right. Swafford. Even when I was at Georgia Tech, um, he picked me to succeed Bernie McGlade on the management council. That was very flattering for me. But Dee actually helped manage the Women's Basketball Championship before it was broken out as a separate entity. So I always forget that. She did a great job with it as well. I would a very big debt of gratitude to those three ladies. Yeah, thank you for mentioning Dee Todd. Her history sure. with the ACC and Commissioner Swafford, we go back to our days at Virginia and then I followed him to Chapel Hill. But uh-huh. certainly he made a very bold and courageous move to hire D. Todd, African-American yeah. woman, to uh-huh. break the color barrier, I guess you could say, for the conference. Thank yes. you for acknowledging that. Absolutely. But it is uh, coronavirus time. Health and safety, you know, what are your thoughts? What can we do? Is there anything else we can do to protect our athletes and our coaches and anybody affiliated with college sports in the league? Yeah, I mean, well, we are committed to their health and safety. We are minding our P's and Q's and taking our cues in particular from our medical action group. That's composed of the, the doctors from every ACC institution. That's the expertise of 15 different doctors who are committed to their craft. And as I said, we are all committed to the health and safety of our student athletes and don't want to put them in any situations that are going to put them in in an undue risk. I mean, we acknowledge that, can't guarantee that we won't have anybody come down with it, but we are poised to make sure that we minimize the impact as much as possible and that we minimize the incidence of coronavirus by doing what we can to encourage people to wear a mask, having a great testing protocol, limiting the, the amount of people who interact with on a, or on a regular basis with our student athletes. Right now, uh, we don't know what the final decision will be on whether we have fans or not. But if we do have fans in attendance, they will not be up close and personal with our student athletes. We will have them in as much of a bubble as we can, either a real or a virtual bubble. That is in their best interest um, and that will allow them to to stay healthy and and then increase our opportunity to get through the full season despite coronavirus. I just don't understand what people's aversion is to wearing these masks. It's like, come on, 
in the grand scheme of things, a very small sacrifice for the freedoms that we would give up if we can't get a hold of this virus and get it under control. Social distancing, wear those masks, respect each other's you know, space and privacy, and then we can get out of this. You know, Let's not make these things bigger than they are and let's certainly not make them political. Certainly. I was doing some research recently around that tried and true model around grief. The first step is that denial piece. I think a lot uh -huh. of people are still in denial in terms yeah. of what's happening and whether or not a mask will work and whether or not yeah. the uh, vac vaccinations make any sense. Uh -huh. A lot of denial, which stems from a lack of education. Uh -huh. Hopefully, the more of us who will model the proper behaviors and the attitudes around this, that we can get more people to understand that we're all in this together. But to your point, there has to be a sacrifice if we're talking about our entire country, whether we're talking about yes. uh, sports or not. I yeah. want to go back, uh, Jason, to the piece around D. Todd, because it was actually Gene Corrigan, Gene Corrigan, who was my yeah. athletic director at Virginia, who spent time at Notre Dame as well, who made that hire for D. Todd, which broke the color barrier. And then John Swafford, where we met at Virginia, and he mm -hmm. moved on his alma mater at uh, UNC, and I mm -hmm. followed him. Uh, but yeah. I want to be sure that we lift up uh, Mr. Corrigan, may he rest in peace and power, yes. and John Swafford in terms yes. of the league. I mean, the ACC has had such great role models. Gosh, even Commissioner Weaver before him. And Jane, what, the Weaver-James Corrigan Scholarship. So it'll be interesting to see what we name after John Swafford <laughs> to ensure his legacy in the ACC. And, and I try not to think about it on a day-to-day -day basis, but with him already stating that this is going to be his last year as commissioner of the ACC, you know, thing that we do this year with him will be bittersweet because we know it will be the last. No, and then with regard true. to coronavirus, we were fortunate that we got through the women's basketball tournament. My heart went out to the men's basketball players and student athletes of, of the other spring sports that were not able to get through their championships. No doubt. In fact, that's one of the more bittersweet things about this year and what's going on with the coronavirus, being able to send off uh, Commissioner Swafford in the way that we would like to. And yeah. that we might have to do all of this virtually. And I'm sure there will be private receptions and things, but private reception with a mask uh, just doesn't speak to the, the way that we should acknowledge his work. Indeed. Let's talk about the other issue. We've got the COVID-19 and then we've got social justice. And NBA, with their billions, they've been able to do some things that just about no other sport can do, and NHL possibly. But uh -huh. to be able to create your own facility due to contracts, management, labor, to uh, force the guys, quote unquote, to come in and play. Now, you could opt out, and many did, but uh, mm -hmm. that's very, very unique. Let's talk yes. about college sports and what are the possibilities and terms of uh, social justice in this pandemic time period? Oh gosh, they are somewhat limited. I mean, but we are embracing it. I'm the head of, I happen to be tasked with uh, chairing the ACC Commission on Social Justice. And we go by the moniker of CORE, C-O-R-E, which stands for Champions of Racial Equity. I have a, a cadre of 46, 47 people, we are working together to move this needle forward. Um, we want to make meaningful and lasting change. And the, the ACC wants to be part of meaningful and lasting change. And the commissioner came out very strongly when this Mr. Floyd was murdered 
to say that racism has no place in society and certainly not within athletics. I'm very happy to be on his team um, with, with someone who would come out that strongly with a statement. And then he took this further step to establish this committee and gave us um, the authority to come up with some ideas of how we, what things we can do to help move these issues forward. One of the things we did right away was recognize Juneteenth as a, a conference holiday and bring attention to that. We are uh, working with our schools on voting initiatives because the right to vote is a sacred right. And as the, the late John Lewis would attest to, he was willing to die for people to have that right. For us to see Mr. Floyd be murdered as he was in broad daylight on camera, it just awakened in a lot of people the commitment to do something to, to get this issue addressed significantly and, and in a meaningful and lasting way. We, we have tackled these issues somewhat before. We've still not made as much progress as some of us would like this country and this world to have made, but it feels different this time because we're able to say things like Black Lives Matter. And it used to be just a couple months ago, if you even uttered those three words, you were labeled as a militant. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, you're not being militant by saying those words. You are being compassionate by saying those words. Because, and as everybody wants to point out, it's not saying that only Black Lives Matter. It's saying that Black Lives Matter too. Because clearly, some people don't seem to get that because they just want to dismiss these, especially Black men, as disposable. Well, they're not. They are valued human beings, and they are fathers, they are brothers, they are husbands. Either way, they are loved. Someone loves them, and someone values their life, and we should all value them. We should all value each other's lives. Our committee is talking about things like that. We're initiating conversations, talking about holding all of our institutions accountable for their hiring practices in terms of diversity to include whatever group, whatever category you want to put people in, especially with regard to race and gender. We're also looking at that our search committees and our candidate pools are diverse. Let's talk about those kinds of things. Let's talk about unconscious bias. We hesitate to talk about white privilege because it puts people on the defensive, but I'm reading a book right now called Me and White Supremacy that talks about, let's talk then instead of saying white privilege, let's say the benefit of the doubt that white people get that other people don't get. When you're a doctor or your patient, say you're a patient, a white patient sitting in a waiting room waiting for the doctor to, or your treatment room waiting for your doctor to come in. Let's say this is your first time at that doctor and you don't know what he or she looks like. If a black doctor walks into that office, why would you even have a thought in your mind of wondering what are his or her credentials? Mm -hmm. Do you have that same thought when a white doctor walks through the door? No, you give them the benefit of the doubt that they are well-versed in their training to be a, a medical professional. So we're just saying that we want whatever color, whatever gender, for people to be given the benefit of the doubt and being able to be treated equally and with dignity and respect. In fact, the ACC is initiating a unity statement that will be read at all of our sporting events. It was just voted on today by our athletic directors. And that unity statement says, in part, that we are committed 
to seeing each other as equals, treating each other with dignity and respect, recognizing that our differences do not divide us, but make us stronger. So at every ACC event, you're going to hear this and we're gonna have public service announcements. We're gonna have posters with this stuff put on it. So we are making a visible testament to our commitment to seeing people as equals and doing what we can to eradicate racism and stop people from, from being treated differently based on the color of their skin. It's time to stop it once and for all. Well, I'll tell you, we are very blessed to have your leadership in this space because <laughs> you sound like me at a workshop. There is no <laughs> doubt that Black Lives Matter, comma, T-O-O, right? white privilege can be disturbing to some people because we have mm -hmm. what, more than 15 million white people who are poor in this country. But right. what we can say is that you might be poor, but it's not because of the color of your skin. Exactly. There is relative advantage whether you are zero income or high income, and we need to have more conversations, and especially when we have young people in mm -hmm. athletics. Because when you roll that ball out or pick up that um, athletic equipment, Mm -hmm. Unless there's just something that is just so wired in you from socialization and conditioning, all you carry, all you think about is my teammate and how we're going to win the game. Exactly. So oftentimes, sports becomes that front porch so that we can see the rest of the house. I think mm -hmm. really we have a good opportunity in the sport world to lead yeah. and to make some statements and and to have people challenge us too because we're not perfect. Exactly. But certainly, I think because of the nature of how we work together in a competitive fashion that it lends itself to us making a difference. Yeah. Exactly. I always look to, I always point people's attention to the Olympics. Every two years, we are all just Americans. We're not hyphenated Americans anymore. Mm -hmm. When that person is competing and they're wearing that red, white, and blue, we're pulling for them because they're an American. We're not pulling for them because they look like us. You know, we might be pulling stronger for them because they look like us, but we're pulling for them first and foremost because they're an American. We need to treat each other every day like that, too. Now, again, we appreciate you being in the sports world and all the schools that you've touched in organizations. But if it weren't sports, if you had that magic wand, <laughs> you weren't creating, guiding, speaking, coordinating for ACC um, women's basketball, sharing your expertise and experience with staff, what would you be doing outside of sports? Oh, my goodness. I can't think of anything that I would rather be doing right now. But in all honesty, in, at one point in my life, I did want to be a lawyer and I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't end up pursuing the law because in my mind at the time, I only thought of child law and my personality was such that I eliminated it because I said I could never defend someone who I knew was guilty and get them off. <laughs> and I could not live with myself if I were a prosecutor and I knew someone was, or I suspected very strongly that someone was guilty and they, they got off. I couldn't be able to deal with that. I kind of abandoned being a lawyer. Then I wanted to be a teacher because I, I really do enjoy imparting knowledge. I do love learning. In fact, when I was at Temple, I actually taught algebra. I had a lot of people in the athletic department. They reach out. They have a, a school of sport, uh, hospitality and, and tourism, and they have a sport management program. Some athletic department people taught in the sport management program. And I'm like, I don't want to teach sport management. I want to teach math. I reached out to him and I said, hey, you know, I went to the Naval Academy. I took four semesters of calculus. Can I teach algebra? They said, sure. So I taught a semester of algebra. Wow, that's so. a lot about you. 
I'm going to ask one more question outside of sports. So what do you do to escape the sports world? What are some of your hobbies and pastimes? I like to go to yard sales and consignment stores and find little pieces and then repurpose them. Like a couple of weeks ago, I went and found this little, the, I didn't know these things even existed, the sewing machine table with the sewing machine in it. And it, it actually still has a sewing machine in it. But I, I bought one of those. It was only $15 and it was beautiful. I bought it and then I brought it home and it's on my front porch now in the corner and I, I repainted it. I refinished it and it is gorgeous. The creative side in me likes doing those kinds of things. And again, like you say, it, it, it gets me away from that competitive side that, that pertains to sport and it just lets me be creative and transform these pieces. Well, I'm dating myself, but I remember that, uh, that uh, sewing machine and used it quite a bit. Now, when it's all over and you're sitting in your rocking chair watching your favorite team play, if you reflect back on your career, what do you want people to remember you for? I'd like them to remember me for, first of all, those times that I was a trailblazer. I didn't seek out being one, but I didn't run away from it. I was always committed to paying it forward. I wanted to make the most of the opportunities that I was given, and I wanted to share that largesse with other people and reach back and bring up one of my sisters or brothers so that they could enjoy you know, the fruits of not only my labor into the future, but in real time. And I wouldn't want to just be content that 10 years after I got a position, yeah, I can speak up for someone. I want to do it in real time. Now, what am I doing now to help someone to get into this profession or to realize their dreams. That's, that's what I Well, thank you. It certainly has shown forth in today's conversation. I thank Mary McElroy, the commissioner of ACC Women's Basketball for spending time on If You Only Knew. Thanks again, Mary. Thank you, Debbie. Bye-bye. I want the checks. You keep the bait. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. That was Dr. Debbie Stroman with Mary McElroy, Senior Associate Commissioner of Women's Basketball at the ACC. If you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And hit the subscribe button too. That way, you'll be notified when next week's episode launches with two college basketball head coaches, Nikki Fargus from LSU and Dave Lado from DePaul. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence and is brought to you by thediversitymovement.com. Intro and outro music for this episode is from Soteria, and you can find more of her music at iamsoteria.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman.